it's more than just what we do in here that uh, worship is really our, our whole life and that it affects what we do in here. And so it's called Closer. And um, so two weeks ago, um, it was the, the title was With All My Heart. And it was this idea of, here was the main thought. It says, to the degree that God has my heart is the degree that I will truly worship. And if you were here, you remember we, uh, we talked about Abraham and Isaac. And actually, the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis was the very first place that the word worship was mentioned in the Bible. And so it was connected to a place of sacrifice. And at some level, that's really where we have to be in our heart when it come, we come into worship, is that, is God, I'm, I'm laying it all down. I'm laying my life down. And, and in Abraham's case, he was also presenting his children before the Lord and saying, God, um, um, I actually love you more than my kids. How many know that that's a big deal? To say that I love, I love God even more than my children. In fact, um, God loves my children more than I love my children. And so for me to just to say, okay, God, here they are, that's actually an act of worship. And, um, and then last week we had, um, we had Tracy Rice here with us and one of the Bethel interns, and it was just an incredible time. And um, I was so blessed and challenged, and he's texted me multiple times since then telling me how much he loved you guys and our church, and so we'll have him back, I'm sure. Um, and then today, I want to talk about um, uh, a thought. Maybe you've read it in the Bible. Maybe you've heard it before. Here's a phrase. Um, um, Obedience is better than sacrifice. Have you heard that before? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Um, in other words, God would rather have my obedience than an act of worship like singing or giving. And so we want to talk a little bit about this, and really it's kind of shifting our heart again into the right place um, so that the two-hour time frame on Sunday mornings when we come and sing songs, so that that is actually more meaningful. So it actually, there's actually better encounter when I can shift my heart into a place. Obedience is better uh, than sacrifice. Here's the thought today. Worship of God starts long before I ever enter the doors of the church. Worship, it starts long before. I think that's why the enemy tries to get those arguments happening like on the way to church. You know what I'm talking about? Now, now, now Becky and I, we, we take separate cars to church, so we just avoid that whole thing. And I get here at, you know, really early and she comes later, and so we don't have that problem. But no, <laughs> right? Isn't that the, I mean, the enemy tries to, to get in and to, to stir things up because worship happens Long before we ever get to this two-hour time slot on a Sunday morning, I had uh, someone in my office recently, and they were talking about um, some of these things. Of how do I get closer to God? How do I feel His presence more, and and all of this stuff, and and feeling like they come on Sunday and feel His presence, and then throughout the week, it's just like it's it's different, and and you know, just some of those those questions that we have, and um, and I said, well, one of the problems is is that we often treat Sunday mornings like a spiritual gas station. Well, we come to Sunday morning, we fill up. You guys know what I'm talking about? And then we just hope that lasts all week long until we come back the next Sunday and we fill up again. And, and there's this place where, where really God is asking us to fill up all week long and then we come on Sunday mornings and it's out of the overflow of what God's already doing, that we're worshiping, that we're communing, communing, um, I think that wasn't a word. I just made it up. But we're, we're having fellowship together and, and hanging out and all of those good things. Um, and so worship of God starts long before I ever enter the doors of the church. In other words, if I'm not worshiping with him, him with my lifestyle, what I offer him here doesn't carry much value. 
if I, this isn't a legalism thing. This is just a, a, an obedience thing. If I don't worship God with my lifestyle all the other time of the week, then what I offer him here in this two-hour time slot, it's not really as much value to him. And, uh, we're, and so we're not talking about legalism. We're talking about, I mean, you know those places, those, those patterns uh, of, of habitual uh, mistakes and sin, the, the places of disobedience and all of those things. And, and we're not talking about, uh, how many know that, um, that you probably made a mistake today? How many know that today or yesterday, this the last seven days, there might have even been a place of sin. You're just like, I know, I know I missed the mark. Um, you don't have to raise your hand. But in the last seven days, in the last, we'll just, we'll just make it, some of you are like, man, I didn't sin in seven days. Well, what about 14 days? Let's do like two weeks. In the last 21 days, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm seeing in the spirit all these hands going up over, right? Like, like we're, not, we're not talking about like, like making a mistake. We're not talking about, man, you know what, I, I blew it here. We're talking about this place of a lifestyle that, that we're, we're six days a week or six, six days and 22 hours, like we're, we're really not living the way God wants us to live and then we come in here and it's from that place then we just are like all out singing or raising hands or we're you know what I'm saying we're declaring things that words that are on the screen and it's almost like God saying oh wait a minute wait a minute I would rather you have your lifestyle like match up with my word and then come in here and worship you got that whole thing backwards. I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes here. Um, uh, our attitude coming into times of worship at church or, or on our own, in our own prayer closet, in that, in a, in a, at home or in, our, or in our cars, like that attitude needs to be like King David. Remember what he said, Psalm 139? Did you guys ever read that? Psalm 139. He says this, starting in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In other words, I want to come before him like long before I get here, but even if I forgot and I got here and worship's planned, like, oh, I need to just say, okay, God, hey, I I want this to be like an an incredible time. I want to honor you. Lord, would you search me? Would you see if there's anything I need to like, I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to clean out. I need you to wash over me. Like that's what David's saying. This wasn't like a condo bondo. That's what my mom used to say. Is that a word? Condo bondo? My, my mom used to say, you know, you know uh, that's not condo bondo. And I'm like, Whoa, what's that? You're using words around me that I don't understand. And, but the, David, David isn't, saying, isn't saying anything about legalism. He's just saying, God, I want there to be um, closeness. I want you to close this rela- relational gap between you and me. Is there anything that I'm unaware of that would be offensive to you? I like it the way he says it in, uh, in the, uh, the Passion Translation of the Bible. Watch this. God I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Isn't that awesome? You like that phrase? God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious, everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Hey, by the way, I totally forgot to make a couple announcements. Um, We're not going to do prayer tonight because of the um, uh, pending storm. Uh, We're going to move it to Tuesday night. 
So if you guys would like to be part of our breakthrough prayer service, Tuesday night, uh, 6.30. Tuesday night, 6.30, we're going to do that. Um, and I thought there was something else. Oh, um, Connect Group starting back up this week, and Becky and I are going to do School of the Spirit. And so if you want to be a part of that, come and be a part of that. So I want to talk about a few things. When I say obedience is better than sacrifice, we're really saying, God, what is hindering my worship? What is hindering my connection? And there might be a lot of things. I found four things that I feel like kind of, kind of hinder our worship. And so here's that thought. My worship is hindered when? When God tells me to do something and I don't do it. it now, I don't need a raise of hands unless you're just really bold. Um, who likes to be told what to do? or doesn't like to be told what to do, right? Who doesn't like to be? We got a couple chuckles. There's a lot of people like, yeah, don't tell me what to do. In fact, fact, uh, you might be that type of person that like, you're like, I know that was a good thing to do, but since I was told to do it, (laughs) since I was told to do it, I'm not going to do it, right? You're like, no, that was a great idea, but since I was told to do it, Right? And, and so this is where, uh, with the Lord, hopefully we don't come before him like that. But when, this is something, you, you'll find this. When it, this will hinder your worship in here. This will hinder your worship in your own private time. When God tells me to do something and I don't do it. There's a story um, in the Bible in uh, 1 Samuel 15. And it's a story of King Saul. And King Saul is, has uh, uh, an encounter with God through the prophet Samuel. And Samuel um, tells, uh, tells King Saul the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was this. I want you to wipe out all of the Amalekites. Don't even leave one alive. I want you to wipe them out. I don't want you to take any of the plunder. And, and that was a big deal because the way that, that the soldiers would get paid in battle was oftentimes was the plunder from the different battles that they would go to. He says, I don't want you to take any of the plunder. I don't want you to take any of the livestock. I, don't want, you to, I want you to just, just decimate everything. That was, the, that was the plan of the Lord. That was the plan. And the reason why was because hundreds of years before, um, when, when uh, the children of Israel were led out of Egypt, um, the very first uh, people group that attacked Israel was the Amalekites. And God's anger was burning against the Amalekites this whole time. And, and he actually made a decree back in Exodus 17 that he was going to wipe out all of the Amalekites. And so hundreds of years later, boom, now on God's timetable, this is, this, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be through King Saul. And so he gives this decree, the battle orders, to King Saul. And so we, uh, the, we come into this story right here, 1 Samuel 15, and... Uh, um, and this, this is what it says in verse 8. And he, meaning King Saul, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Now let's just stop there. If you heard any of the story I just said, um, he was supposed to what? Destroy everything. So like the very first thought here, um, he didn't. He, every, he kept the king, the king alive. Okay, so you're with me. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. Now, now pause there. Everything that was good. I'll tell you, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but do you know that good is the enemy of best? Yeah. You know that, that there are things that seem good to us that God's saying, no, 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 stay away from that. Right. 
So everything that was good, these they were, oh man, this phrase. Do you see that on the screen? They were unwilling to destroy completely. Oh, bummer. And we're going to find out that this heart, that this thought actually hinders our worship. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Of course they would, right? You would too. Goes on. 1 Samuel 15, we skip to verse 19. Now, now Samuel's on the scene, and he's coming to talk to King Saul. Let's see if, if everything happened the way that I told you to do it, right? This was, this was uh, Samuel to King Saul. He says, why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And what does King Saul say? But I did obey the Lord. This is, this is what happens in our life. Because God tells us to do something, and then we say, okay, good, I'll, t- I'll take it from here. And now we're like, well, that was a little bit more of a, it's kind of like when you drive in a parking lot and there's like an arrow that go- points out, and there's an arrow that points in, you decide to go in the arrow that points out. You're like, no, that was a suggestion arrow, right? Do you, ever, you know those suggestion arrows? You're like, well, it's like three in the morning. There's nobody here. That's a suggestion arrow, right? You know, you know it's like, you know, in our parking lot, right? We've got the, the, um, the disabled parking and all of those things. And, and we're like, well, I mean, there's, there's nobody here. I mean, it's just a suggestion, right? Uh, that's what, I mean, King Saul's the same way right here. He's like, so God gives this command, and then he's like, you yeah, know, that was more, I mean, that was more of like a good idea. That was more of a suggestion. I wiped out almost everybody. I did it like 95% of the way. I'll tell you what, when God tells you to do something, you do it 100%. You do it the whole way. And if we don't, there's a hindrance when we come in here or when we're in our own private time, there absolutely will be a hindrance between you and the Lord. And that's what we find, that's what we find here. Man, they were unwilling to destroy it completely. And he says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God. Why? in order to sacrifice them to the Lord at Gilgal. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Jonathan. That's a good thing. That's a big deal. We're going to take all the good stuff, and we're going to sacrifice it before the Lord at, at Gilgal. Now, there's times, um, you guys have probably never had this with your children, but with my children, there's been times when I've told them, do not. And I usually have to have my eyebrows go up. My eyes get big. This is the daddy serious face. Do not do that, Bob, if he were my child. I feel like we've been clear. It's been the do not. We're clear. An hour later or something, one of the children comes in, and and I said, said, what happened? I thought I told you not to, whatever it might be. And they'll say, well, but look at this picture I drew you. Oh, but look at this thing that I, it's amazing. And you could put it on the refrigerator or you could keep, it's a present for you, Dad. Do you know what I tell them? Oh, you're in trouble. 
because you did not do what I, I don't care. I don't care if this was like uh, like a present present for the United President of the United States. I don't care. I mean, if this was the best thing, I don't care if this was unto God. You disobeyed your daddy. That was what was happening. Saul was like, like this is going to be great. We're going to sacrifice. And I happen to think, if I'm reading between the lines, that he was not planning on sacrificing these things to the Lord. And then Samuel comes along like, what is all this? Well, we're going to sacrifice them to God. I, I think he made it up on the spot, if you're asking me. But, uh, but regardless, that's what's happening. We do that, don't we? Don't we like justify our, our lifestyle and we justify our decisions and we know God said don't do and we're just like, well, it was, you know, it was just a suggestion arrow. It was just a suggestion parking spot violation. You know, this is what, what we do sometimes and that's what Saul did. And um, Samuel replies in verse 22, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as, as in obeying the Lord? He says, to obey is better than sacrifice. The thought here, and this isn't to just like heap any type of condemnation or guilt and shame on us at all. It's for us to just really get pure before the Lord. Here's the thing. If I don't obey him out there, he's saying, I'd rather you not worship in here. That's what he's saying. In, in our context, we're not going to do a, a, like an animal sacrifice. We're not going to make an altar and burn it and all of that stuff in here, right? We're not going to do that. In our context, he's saying, if you don't do what I told you to do out there, then it's actually kind of disgusting that you would do it, that you would just take this two-hour time slot and worship me in here. That's what he's saying. And he's like, but he wants to close that relational gap. He wants, to, he wants our worship. And so he's saying, hey, would you just make things right? So what would I do? I would, I would remember, man, oh, I am, I totally disobeyed you, God. And I would repent. I would say, God, would you forgive me? I'd go make things right. I would do whatever I could so that now this can be a meaningful time before the Lord. Well, did you get a bunch of warm fuzzies right there when I said that? Was that cool? Is that a good one? All right, we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Uh, the, the, the verse goes on even. It says, And to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is, is like the sin of divination. Did you know that? A rebellious heart, rebellion, it's like witchcraft. That's what he compares it to. And arrogance or, or pride, that type of pride to do it my own way, is the evil of idolatry. I'm like, what? This is a big deal to God. This is huge. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. In, in King Saul's life, this, this act that he did in his own, in his own uh, um, idea and obeying the Lord in his own way, this act actually took his kingdom away from him. All right, here's, uh, well, uh, a verse in the New Testament, James four seventeen says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is for them sin. And and this is another thing for us to just know in our heart is that, is that sometimes it's not just this black and white like God laid it out in the Bible. Like for you and for me, we have to be at this place with the Lord where we're just saying, okay, God, um, uh, I know that what I'm supposed to do. And if I don't do that, the Bible calls it sin. Here's the second thing. We're talking about what hinders our worship when there is unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart. How many know that that's a big deal? 
when there's unforgiveness and bitterness, I have actually been sitting in worship, whether it be at this church or another church, and I'd be sitting in worship, and the Lord's like, ah, Jonathan, he doesn't call me Pastor Jonathan, by the way. Just, just Jonathan. Sometimes Jonathan Lee, sometimes Jonathan Lee, Lum, like whatever he has to do to get a hold of me. <laughs> Jonathan. Some, for some reason, he sounds like my mom. I don't know why. But there's been times I've been actually sitting in worship or standing in worship and the Lord says, ah, um, you need to make that right with that person and you need to, you need to do it now. And it, whether it be right now means in my heart I, I forgive or in my heart, sometimes, there's been times when I've, had, have to, I've actually had to leave my seat and go make something right with somebody. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just weird that God would have you do that? Watch this. This is what it says in... Um, Matthew chapter 5, I think this is the Passion Translation. I like the, the way it's worded here. He says this in verse 21. You're familiar with the commandment that the older generation was taught, do not murder or you will be judged. But I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart toward a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. And whoever demeans and insults a fellow believer is answerable to the congregation. Excuse me. And whoever calls down curses upon a fellow believer is in danger of being sent to a fiery hell. Verse 23, so then, if you're presenting a gift before the altar, now that's, that's worship, presenting a gift before the altar, that, that would be what we'd be comparing to, to worship. If you're presenting a gift before the altar in the temple and suddenly you remember a quarrel you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift in there in front of the altar and go at once to apologize with the one who is offended. Then, after you've reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. This was, this is the deal. This is the principle in scripture that my worship is going to be hindered if my heart isn't clear between me and somebody else. Does that make sense? Do I need to harp on that anymore? All right. So I would say, hey, you thought, man, you know, I don't know. My worship was a little bit hindered today. I'd say you got seven days. Go make it right with somebody. Come back next week and get our worship on. Sound good? All right. Here we go. Everyone, everyone's loving this. Here, we'll, 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 here, there, there's a third one. Here's a third one. This might hinder some worship. When my worship becomes about how I look to other people, that might hinder your worship. When my worship becomes about how I look to other people. Acts chapter 5. Watch this. This is just an interesting, an interesting story. It's the New Testament, by the way. This is New Testament. Everyone's like, man, the Old Testament, that's where like fire comes down on people and he consumes the whole nation and all that. Watch, watch what happens in the, in the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says, Now a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira likewise sold their farm. Now to give context, the, there is revival being poured out on the early church at this point. I mean, God's just showing up in powerful ways, signs, wonders, and miracles. The church is growing. People are getting saved left and right. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people are getting saved. I mean, it is, it's turning Judaism on its head. It's like, oh my, my goodness. This is like, everyone's like, look at this, look at this new sect of Judaism. And they're like, and, and they're a little bit afraid of them. You know, like they're, like they're doing, they're not doing it the same way we've always done it, right? And, and revival's happening right here. And it's in that place that like almost like it, spontaneously the church started like selling property and bringing every, they brought like everything to the church. They're like, hey, and I'm not saying that, that God wants to do that here. I'm just, like, you don't have to all go sell your property. That was what was happening here. 
is that spontaneously, this wasn't tithe, this was just, this was above and beyond, this was gifts. And it wasn't required. The apostles weren't requiring it. It was just out of their heart this was happening. And so we come into this chapter, Acts chapter 5, and Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold their farm. And they were doing likewise, like everybody else. Verse 2, they conspired to secretly keep back for themselves. Is that me? All right, we good? They conspired to secretly keep back for themselves a portion of the proceeds. So when Ananias brought the money to the apostles, it was only a portion of the entire sale. Now you've got to keep in mind, the, the apostles didn't, didn't require this. This was all on their own volition. This was all in their, in their own heart. Like this is what they wanted to do. And so they sold property and then they conspired together to make everybody else think that it was the whole thing. Verse 3, God revealed their secret to Peter. So he said to him, Ananias, why did you let Satan fill your heart and make you think you could lie to the Holy Spirit? And I love this phrase in the Passion Translation. You only pretended to give it all. Oh my gosh, when I read that this week, I was like, I, I think I got saved in my office. I took an offering for myself. <laughs> Can we just pause for a second? Has there ever been a time when we, when you, when, I, when we pretended to give it all? This is that place. This will absolutely hinder our worship when my worship becomes about how I look to other people. That, wait a minute, I want, uh, uh, the, the, the church needs to be able to view me a certain way. They need to view me like, like I, I give a certain amount when I really don't or, or everything's good in my life. So I'm going to throw my arms up in the air. Or I'm going to get on my knees and everything's going great. So I'm going to make everybody think that. And man, when our worship becomes more about what people see, what people think about me and how I present my, man, you're going down a dangerous road. And this is what happened here. Their worship, they were bringing worship to the Lord and and, and they wanted to make sure that, that all the apostles in the early church thought that, oh, man, they sold everything. Man they're, man, they're stepping out in faith. That's what that was. I mean, if you went and sold property and just gave it to the church, you think that's a faith step? And so people had to have been looking at Ananias and Sapphira, and they're like, man, look at the faith on that couple. And that's what they wanted people to see. And then Peter, man... You only pretended to give it all. Oh, my gosh. So let's let that sit for a second. Let that hurt for just 30 seconds. Okay. That was less than 30 seconds. But can we just, this isn't a condemnation thing. This is just, could we just say, Lord, if there's anything where I've just wanted to do something because I didn't want to look bad in front of people, let's be careful. Let's just be careful with that. I never want to be a person that only pretends to give it all. And you could read the rest of that if you'd like. But man, what a story. Here, you want the last one? We're all ready to point four. Everyone say amen. There's probably all kinds of different things that hinder our worship, but I just found four. Here's the fourth one. When I live by man's wisdom. 
this will absolutely, this will absolutely hinder your worship. This, this hinders my worship sometimes when I live by man's wisdom. Good ideas don't necessarily equal God ideas. In fact, good is often the enemy of best. I'll tell you this, I believe this. I believe the enemy, the devil, wants us to settle for good. Sometimes we, it's hard for us to understand because uh, we would view the devil and we would think, man, he wants me to sin. He wants me to like, like just fall off the, the wagon and get f- like full on, just like, you know, look like the world. And he, he, he does, but, but he's a little more sneaky than that. He, he wants you to settle for good instead of best. He, in fact, I think that he's okay with you being a Christian as long as you're not effective in the kingdom of God. I think he's okay for you to just, uh, to just be, uh, just kind of be saved and barely make it to heaven. I think he would be okay with that as long as you don't take anybody there with you. And, and so that's what, uh, what, saying, what, what we're saying here is when I live by man's wisdom, in other words, when I'm not living by God's wisdom, when I'm not living by God's thoughts, when, when six days and 22 hours of the week, it's, it's um, my own thoughts and everybody else's wisdom, and I'm just living by, by what I know to be true and all this stuff, and then I come for these two hours, and now it's like, okay, now I care what you have to say. Now I, now I, I care, you know, about your thoughts. And, and he says, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts, and we believe that for two hours, and then we don't live like that for the rest six days and... 22 hours of the week. There's a story that we'll close with here, 2 Samuel chapter 6. You start in verse 1. David, King David, um, he brought together all of the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to um, Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on, on the ark. And, uh, and I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of sum up some of this here. There's a, there's a parallel story. This story is found in 2 Samuel 6. There's a parallel story in 1 Chronicles 13. When you read them both, you kind of get a, a, a clearer picture of, of what's going on here. In 1 Chronicles 13, um, it says that David conferred with each of his officers, and, and he was like, well, I want to find out if this is a good idea or not. Should we go get the ark or not? And, and then watch this. It says this in verse 2 of, of 1 Chronicles 13. Um, if it seems good to you and if it's the will of the Lord our God. And then, and then you watch this at, right at the end, verse 4. The whole assembly, that means all the people, the whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to all the people. And so everyone thought, this is a great idea. Let's go and get the Ark of the Covenant. He had just recently, King David had recently ex- experienced incredible victory over the Philistines. They, he he just conquered Jerusalem and he's setting up camp in Jerusalem, making home in Jerusalem and King David and all these people are like, you know what would be a good idea? Let's create a place of worship here. And they did. And let's go get the Ark of the Covenant that actually represented the manifest presence of God. That was in the Old Testament where God's presence actually was with the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony. That's where it was. And so let's go get it back. Anyone, everyone agree that's a good idea? That's a great In fact, I think it's even something that God would want them to do. It made sense. 
to bring the presence of God close. And so they set, uh, they, they went out and, and the, the Ark of the Covenant was at a guy named Abinadab's house. It was actually there for 70 years at this guy's house is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so they go um, to this place. It was on a hill in Gibeah. And so they, they go to, to um, Abinadab's house. And the Bible says in verse 3, they set the Ark of God on a new cart and they brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and, um, how do you pronounce his name? Ahio, sons of Abinadab, they were guiding the new cart. All right? And so you see the picture. Now David brought 30,000 people with him to get one cart. I mean, this was a procession. This was a parade. This was all-out worship. We are bringing the ark back. We're setting up a place of worship in Jerusalem. This is going to be a good thing. Two of the sons of where this ark had been in their whole lives are helping to guide this ark back to Jerusalem. You guys have the picture with me? And they put the ark on a cart just like the Philistines did years earlier. How many know? There might be a mistake there. In verse 5, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with uh, castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. Uh, So that phrase, uh, they celebrated with all their might. I would wonder what that would look like. I wonder. I don't know. I don't want my mic to fall off, but I imagine... I imagine, you know, that there's something, there's some leaping, there's some, I bet there's sweat, I bet they're pitting out in their armpit. I mean, there's just, I mean, I think that they're, they're breathing heavy, I've, there's, there's musical instruments, they're twirling, there's banners going, they're one of those churches, there's like, all of that stuff's happening. I mean, this is, is there, I mean, uh, the, the people on the side of the road, they're looking like, those people are crazy, you know, like my friend over in this section, those are Jesus freaks, right? I mean, it was nuts with all their might. Imagine 30,000 people. This is like, like if you've ever been to a stadium like crusade or conference and everyone's there for the same reason to worship God. I mean, I mean, you could hear it for miles. It was all out worship. All out worship with all their might. Verse 6. Can you tell? That was a little too much. I got to get my cardio in this week. When they came to the, uh, Matt O'Neill would tell you in the sound booth that that never happens actually. Um, (laughs) That never happens. When they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah, who was one of the sons of Abinadab, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. Everyone say that makes sense. No, say it. That makes sense. It actually does. Because, because he, he cared about the ark of God. And it was, it was going to fall. And so he, he's like, just like anybody would do, he just reached out to, no one wants the ark of God to fall. And it, he reached out and he, and to steady it. In verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. This, I'm guessing it was like twirl, twirl, yay, and everything stopped, and there was silence. 
and people. We don't know exactly what happened, but in the original language, it, I mean, it says that he was destroyed. A couple commentaries say that the Uzzah might have exploded. We don't know. I like that version. Preaches better. But everything stopped. It was all-out worship, and everything stopped because this guy tried to do the right thing. And a few verses later, I mean, David, in verse 8, says, Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, um, that place is called Perez Uzzah. Uh, in, in fact, in the original language, it says that David burned with anger. Here's, here's what happened, if you, if you haven't read this story before. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant was never meant to be put on a cart. The, the command in the Bible, God's command, his written command, was that the Ark of the Covenant was meant to be carried by priests on poles, on shoulders. And they did it their own way. They did what seemed good in their heart and in their, in their eyes and, they, and it was a good thing and there was even worship involved and all this stuff but they did it their own way. They didn't do it the, in, in God's way. You know that the presence of God was never meant to be put um, on man-made carts and man-made organizations and man-made buildings. You know the presence of God was always meant to be carried by people. We were designed to be presence carriers and they just decided they were going to do it their own way. And so David is super angry and offended and afraid. How many know you'd also be afraid? Uzzah explodes before you. And we're just like, wow, what's going to happen? And so the, so the idea was to bring the cart back to Jerusalem. David says, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I'm afraid. I'm offended. Super offended. That was my friend Uzzah. And so they dropped the cart off at a guy named Obed-Edom's house. Um, you can actually go to, go to Obed-Edom's house. Uh, I've, I've had friends that have been there. And but so the, the Ark of the Covenant dropped off at Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Bible says that Obed-Edom's house experienced just such blessing and favor. I mean, it was just like, imagine the manifest presence of God just resting on your home. And this was like where, in, in the Old Testament, God had a location, <laughs> This was the location. This was his manifest presence. And Obed-Edom's home and family was just, their, their socks were being blessed off so much so that uh, King David saw on Facebook that, <laughs> that something was happening in Obed-Edom's house. Someone was posting Instagram and someone was tweeting it, like hashtag Obed-Edom. And King David found out about that, wait a minute, it's actually better that I bring the presence of God close, regardless of the cost. And we're going to find out in a couple weeks um, that King David gets a second chance to do it the right way. And, and it was amazing. We're going to find out in a couple weeks about that. But this, this happened. <laughs> and it happened because King David and his men, and Uzzah knew better than that. Uzzah was, was from a Levitical line and, of priests, and he understood that. They just didn't read and freshen up on God's law. And they thought, God, this is for you. 
We're worshiping. Here's a parade. 30,000 people dancing with all their might. And the Bible says before God. They were even doing it before him. And the reason why God couldn't receive it is because they didn't obey him before. What you do out there affects what happens in here. Because they didn't do it God's way before, when they worshiped and went all out for God, God says, boom, you're dead. I don't know that God's going to, like, kill us. But I, knew, I do know that God desires obedience instead of sacrifice. And I feel like if we could get that obedience right, and what's that look like for each of our lives? It's going to be different for each of us. But maybe you could, on your way home, talk with your wife, like, we don't want to die. What should we do? Like, wh- whatever you need to do. You know that was a joke. But maybe you could just discuss that with the Lord. Maybe you get on your face before God at some point and you say, God, is there anything that's hindering my worship? Is there anything that I've just kind of over time or just, just started to do it my own way and I, and I just forgot? I, I think that King David and, and the people, I think they just kind of got in the habit of not really seeking God and, and just kind of doing it their own way and this is just kind of how we do it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go get, the, and let's put it on a cart. That works for the Philistines. And they did it. Good hearts but not God's way. And I think that as we start to just do it God's way out there, that this time, and you're even in your own private worship times, are going to go off the rails. It's going to be awesome. How's that? Is that good? Everyone want to cheer about that? Just so I feel better about myself? No, <laughs> just joking. Just joking. Just joking. I'm going to get rebuked by my friends after that. So let's do stand, though, as... Um, as the worship team's coming. Jesus. Jesus. Could we, I don't know if you have uh, three or four or five more minutes left in you. Um, this is the way I was just sensing that we would just close this time is, um, would you make an altar just even right where you're at? You can come forward and you can go to the, to the aisles. It doesn't matter. But would you just, let the Lord identify if there's anything in this message. The heart of this is, Lord, what's hindering my worship? Is there anything? Is it my own ideas? Is it like unforgiveness and bitterness? Is it, is it you told me to do something and I absolutely like direct defiance, didn't obey? Is it, is it that, that I just kind of over time just decide not to listen to you and, and it's my own wisdom and I'm just starting to listen to man's wisdom and stuff, whatever it might be. As the worship team starts to play, just start to make an altar there. If, you, if you're physically able, you may want to get on your knees and, uh, by your chair. Or you may want to come up here or you may want to sit or stand, whatever it is, but create an altar between you and the Lord right now in the name of Jesus. God, if there's anything that hinders our worship, Would you just in your loving way as a good father, would you just identify that for us? Would you point that out for us, God? May nothing hinder. May nothing hinder. Anna's gonna lead us in a song and uh, when the song's over, you're just free to go whenever you like to go. you can stay as long as you need to stay. If you need someone to pray with you, you can come up. And, and if you're up here, we'll just know that you want prayer and, and you're standing. If you're standing, you want prayer. And um, If you need to leave, you can leave in just a few minutes. But could we just 
Let this room be an altar before the Lord.